On this Tell Me More episode of Tell Me What You Know, we had a very special guest in studio, National Football League Hall of Famer Bill Polian. Bill is most well known for his tenure as a general manager in the NFL, first for the Buffalo Bills, where they went to four straight Super Bowls, then for the Carolina Panthers when the league expanded in 1995, and finally for the Colts, where he played a crucial role in selecting Peyton Manning in the 1998 NFL Draft, ultimately bringing a Super Bowl to Indianapolis. We talked to Bill and his soon-to-be-released podcast co-hosts about their thoughts on alternative leagues like the Alliance of American Football and the XFL, as well as the current state of the NFL, mostly as it pertains to penalties and replay. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to a special Tell Me More episode. Uh, we have three special guests in the studio today. We have Scott Schaefer, we have Mr. Bill Polian, and Rick Schaefer here as well. Um, you guys want to introduce yourselves real quick? Rick, I'll start with you. So uh, I am uh, a lawyer by training, but as uh, I've mostly worked in sports and entertainment, there shouldn't be a lot of people out there that hate me, hate me for that. I've been Bill's agent and lawyer and confident advisor for a long time and scott and i worked together in a previous life and so this is a very very uh, warm gathering for me a lot of a lot of good feelings about the people around this table very nice i'm bill polian uh i was uh, a lifelong professional football personnel guy general manager in buffalo uh carolina and with the indianapolis colts and uh for a year the vice president of football operations for the national football league Excellent. If you hear taps on the table, that's his uh, Super Bowl ring. So, <laughs> that's right. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who remember a few weeks back, no, that's right. I'm uh, Scott Schaefer, the bald gentleman, their business partner that they referenced in the uh, in that episode on baldness, uh, the one who has devilishly handsome blue eyes and looks like the Cal Ripken of Virginia because I don't shave a, or grow a beard. I'm surprised that's it's right. taken us this long to get you on the podcast. It's, it's, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this is the maiden voyage. So, yeah, that's she's right. good. Well, well yeah, yeah, we, so. as we do with a lot of these follow-up episodes, we want to try and tie them into something that we've talked about previously. And two of my topics in the past, one this past week in the XFL and previously in the Canadian Football League, tie into a new project that you guys have coming up. So if you want to kind of give a little bit of information about what's – what we can expect with this podcast that you guys are coming out with? So what we're doing is, uh, and when you mentioned the XFL, that if Bill and I, of course, were also involved in the AAF, which was really far superior exactly. to the XFL other than the fact we didn't have enough money to go forward. Sure. Uh, so what we're doing is, you know, Bill has really had one of the remarkable careers, and he, he won't say it, but I will, in, mm-hmm. in, in the history of the modern game. Uh, the perspective that he's had, the places he's been, the things he's experienced. So... What we're trying to do is take a retrospective view, uh, get the benefit of Bill's uh, experiences, and use those as a filter to understand where we are today and a lot of the stuff that's going on in the current NFL and in professional sports. Right on. And it's called uh, Going Deep with Bill Polian, correct? Yes, it is. Do we yes. have an idea when the first episode will launch? Uh, we're a couple weeks away. Okay. Uh, so uh, by the time you're hearing this, we'll probably be live in the uh, – Apple Store, but sometime in uh, late February, early March. Late February, early March. Excellent. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely keep everybody posted on that as well. You guys have a first topic that you guys are covering, going so, deep on? So the first one we're going to go deep on is uh, sort of the iconic decision between uh, Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf and sort of taking a look into the window of time from late 97 to the draft of 98 uh, to get Bill's obviously a firsthand and unique perspective of one of the most iconic decisions. Yeah. In the history of the NFL. Really set the, I mean, it was an age-defying era for with Peyton. I mean, it was a huge decision. 
You know, it's an interesting thing how I think you can look back on a lot of things. Bill's a great history buff, among other things. How you can look at something when someone makes a decision at the time, which at the time people thought it might have been controversial, that it was close. But then as you watch it play out over time and you have the retrospect that we now can employ, you see what what it, sort of an obvious thing it was and how it changed the course of modern football as a result of the way it went. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, at the time we made the decision, it was not popular in Indianapolis. And as it turned out, we were going to play uh, San Diego. The game had long been scheduled in the preseason. I think it was the third preseason game of both players' rookie years. And Peyton had a bad day and Ryan had a big day. And the next day, the headline in the paper is they picked the wrong guy. That's right. <laughs> well, it had to have been dicey because I don't think we we obviously don't get into it in this episode of the podcast because we just look at the draft. But, mm-hmm. you know, Leaf ended up winning the first two games that season. The, mm-hmm. the wheels didn't totally come off the bus for Ryan until week four. So I'm wondering how much heat you felt, you know, at the beginning of that season. Not a lot, really. I mean, you know, the so-called heat, uh, when, when you're working in the business – you first of all, you don't hear a lot of it. Right. I learned very early on to listen to music going to work, and then later on, books on tape, mm-hmm. which is a, a habit I still retain. So I never listened to any of the talk radio, and I would tell the players when talk radio became a thing, uh, sports talk radio became a thing later on. Don't listen to it, and, and don't allow your loved ones to listen to it either. That's the problem. The loved ones yes. listen to it. Right, and then you're going to hear they're it. calling yeah. up. Yeah. What are you? Did you do yeah. hear what so and so said about you? <laughs> And, and uh, so uh, when you're working in the business, you, you don't really pay a lot of attention to it because you don't have time to pay attention to it. The only time you really interact is when the reporters come into the building and talk and, and they're reflecting what's out there. Yeah, so Bill got a call from somebody important there and we had to stop it. So, um, yeah, back to the episode. Bringing up the, the XFL and the Canadian Football League, what – what do you think the main driver is beyond like, for these alternative football leagues to, to start a new league? What, what problems are you, quote unquote, trying to fix with the NFL? What, what's the basis for, for the endeavor? Well, when you talk about the XFL or any other alternative spring league and the CFL, you're really talking apples and bananas. Mm-hmm. So let's talk first about the CFL. Sure. The CFL has a long history long history, over 100 years. And it has a very significant place in the culture of Canada. The rules are different. Uh, It's three downs. It's 12 men on a team. Uh, The timing rules are different. The field is wider and longer, 125 yards long Mm -hmm. versus 100 here. Uh, 55, uh, 110 yards long, I should say, uh, and then 25-yard end zones, and then uh, six, close to 60 yards wide. So it's a different game, but it has a very special place in the sporting culture of Canada. Mm-hmm. Hockey's clearly number one, mm-hmm. but the CFL is their game. And even though the NFL gets in there and, and there's great interest in the NFL – uh, because the, the games cross the border and now actually have permanent, uh, you know, contractual distribution on a Canadian network, it's the, the, C, the CFL still has a very big place. Mm-hmm. 
And it has restrictions on the number of, quote, imports mm-hmm. who can come in and play. It's, it's protected in a sense. The, it's, it essentially has a protective tariff. So Canadians uh, can make up the bulk of the players. Mm-hmm. And that helps support the sport throughout Canada, especially in the Canadian um, collegiate system, which is comparable to the Division threes in, in, in our mm-hmm. system but is very important to them too. So um, that's a different deal. And if the NFL disappeared tomorrow and the XFL disappeared tomorrow, it wouldn't change the Canadian League one iota, except that they would probably get better players. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So that's the CFL. They play from uh, roughly June 15th, until Thanksgiving Day, the Grey Cup, which is their cha- their Super Bowl, right. is played on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, not Canadian Thanksgiving, by the way, which comes yeah. <laughs> very different. Than- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, Canadian Thanksgiving is right around Columbus Day. Yeah, if, if you try to make a rough <laughs> right. comparison, but um, they have a standalone place. Now they struggle because once a third league enters the picture, be it the AFL, the USFL, the World Football League, the AAF, or now the XFL, that causes a, a talent drain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. simply because Americans would like to play in America, number mm-hmm. one, and play the American game, and B, because of the, the uh, exchange rate and the salaries – the CFL uh, can't match up sure. with salaries in the United States when you take into account the taxes and living expenses right. and what have you. Um, and now at one time, from about 1960, roughly through 80, the CFL was doing really well financially. They had a big-time television contract, and they and they did well when when – we were in Montreal. Things were doing well. We played in the Olympic Stadium and sold it out. Um, and and the, the league was was booming. Um, the uh, USFL hadn't quite come along, and the AFL had merged with the NFL, and everything was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the AFL, uh, once the uh, USFL came along, that hurt. Obviously, the talent. But it also drained some money out of the television market mm-hmm. so that the CFL's television uh, uh, revenue dwindled pretty significantly, and it's never really recovered. Um, so now, while you have new stadiums in Hamilton and, 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 and you know, they play in, uh, in, in the McGill University Stadium in Montreal now, they don't draw the crowds that they used to draw. You know, thirty-five thousand now is a great crowd. Right. Mm-hmm. In, in the heyday, in, in the in the mid seventies and early eighties, Edmonton would have eighty thousand. Right. Mm. You know, Warren Moon was playing there. At the right. time. You know, Montreal would have sixty-five thousand. Yeah, that's a big draw. Yeah. yeah, big draw. So that all went away, but it's still thriving. And their commissioner, with whom I'm friendly. Um, has made a, a, a real attempt to position them as a developmental league for foreign players, meaning players from Europe 
and, and, and other places around the globe other than the United States because, ironically enough, it's easier for emigres to get into Canada who are part of the British Commonwealth mm-hmm. than, than it is for them to get in from the United States. Just so, a story for a different podcast. Especially. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's especially that's a now. Much broader issue. Especially yeah, now. Yeah, especially yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. So it has its own place, which will I believe will be secure no matter what happens with the XFL. But the talent drain of a third league in the, in the United States makes it much more difficult. The style of play is completely different. It's much more run and shoot. Mm-hmm. Much more athletic quarterback who runs the ball a lot. It's very similar to what we see and the pure air raid mm. in college football. Even though the run game is still important, but with three downs, nowhere near as important as it is here. Mm-hmm. So it, that's a different cat, which will survive no matter what. I don't well, think it'll right. go away. Do you want to? I also always think it's distinctive that it's the only league I know where two teams have the same nickname in, in one league. <laughs> yeah. two, rough, two Rough Riders. The Rough Riders, that's right. Yeah. One, yeah. one is two words and one is one. Yes. Yeah. I, actually, well, that's after, a huge distinction. After the uh, after the episode, actually, my, my mother listened and she I, I was gifted a, a Saskatchewan Rough Riders shirt for Christmas this year. There you go. <laughs> having, yeah. having not actually looked at the logos, I opened the box. I was like, oh, this is great. What is this? <laughs> it's like, it's about them on that podcast she yeah. did. So. Yeah. We've yet so. to see it at the office, but yeah. I think yeah. we've done Well, I, cause I wear it. It's a cool logo, the by the way. It is. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. 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 It was great. The. Uh, as to the spring league in the United States, that's mm-hmm. a totally different uh, issue, although the business model is somewhat similar. There is no television revenue to speak of. There's exposure for the XFL, mm-hmm. which will certainly help it. Uh, there are no investors, so to speak. Uh, and many of the Canadian teams are owned by l- either local communities mm-hmm. or groups of local community mm-hmm. people. Winnipeg was owned by is owned by the community, like the Green Bay Packers. Right. I did not know that. So, so is the Sk- Civic so is, Pride. So is the Saskatchewan mm-hmm. uh, team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the XFL is owned by Vince McMahon. Yeah. He's committed five hundred million dollars. Um, because the AAF went away, he was able to lower the salaries to fifty five thousand per player, which is break even. You can you can if you do a certain amount at the gate, you're you're fine. Um, Obviously, he wants to make a profit on it, make it go long term. It is clearly a developmental league, mm. meaning that it is for players largely who have not had a chance or are not developed enough physically or, or talent-wise to make it in the NFL. So what you're talking about by definition are players who can't make it in the NFL or didn't make it in the NFL. And thus far, we haven't seen any guys with real big names, i.e., um, well, Cardell Jones is a is a big name because he played at Ohio State. Right. Mm-hmm. Played in a big national. He, he had a big platform. Doesn't, yeah, but he, he doesn't It's have not a Tim f- Tebow. Correct. Yeah. Well said. It's right. not the Tebow factor. Yeah. It's not the guy who can carry the league on his own who wants to go there because the money isn't worth it mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Many of them realize they don't have a chance to make it in the NFL. So uh, the, the player that's the hottest now, the Houston quarterback who's playing in a run and shoot, uh, where June Jones, by the way, coached in mm-hmm. Edmund, uh, and I'm sorry, in uh, Hamilton in the CFL. Um, 
he was the third quarterback with Indianapolis. And it's a little he's making a lot of noise now, which is good, you know, good for him. But I don't know that he has a high ceiling in the NFL. Well, mm-hmm. I think they thought Connor Cook was going to be the starter there, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. That's correct. So that's a different cat altogether. And the question there, given the fact that they have the money and they've done a good job putting the teams together, is whether or not they can generate enough interest at the gate in local markets that are NFL markets mm-hmm. uh, beyond the initial um, excitement that took place with, with a new product. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Seattle's got 10,000 season ticket holders. Great. Good job. Yeah, St. Louis is supposed to have 28,000 people. That and, and that's a market that should do should well be because right. that's the football number yes. in that market. Right. Uh, it's not an NFL market, but it's not a bad market. Mm-hmm. So – uh, if they can do that, uh, they can, and and the ratings are good enough over time to make uh, Fox and and uh, ESPN say, you know, this is worth our while. We're not paying anything for right. it, other than perhaps production costs. Right. Uh, you know, this is worth our while, and we'll keep it. And 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 then we'll see if it makes it for three years. Then they're at an inflection point because then what do we do? We do do we continue on? As at what at what amounts to the International Baseball League Triple A, mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. or do we try to challenge the NFL? Or if we can't be anything better than Triple A, do we fold up? But one quick thing that we don't know anything <laughs> about yet is what impact do you think the new CBA will have on players? Because I mean, if they expand the practice squads, they expand maybe the the rosters. Wouldn't that theoretically pull from their talent? Pool? Yeah, absolutely, yes. absolutely. So That's a very good question. The um, uh, Right now, the old CBA is in effect, which means that there are 10 players on every practice squad in the NFL. Now, in the AAF, we allowed the players to go back and forth. The XFL is not. not I'm not questioning that decision. It's just a rule. Right. So what that means is that any player who signs with the XFL after the NFL season ends – is foreclosing the ability to go back to the NFL. That's Mm going to hurt a lot. Yeah. 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 Secondly, as you correctly point out, Scott, the NFL will expand the roster. I'm told by one player on right now, the the proposal is one player on the active roster. So they would go to 54. I suspect they might get to 55 before the negotiations are all over. Mm-hmm. And then they certainly will expand the practice squad. And I'm told that the number is between 13 and 14. Mm. So that means that five additional players, one of whom is good enough to be on the active roster, will not be available. That's a hundred and roughly 60 players, players that you're yanking out. who you're taking out of the marketplace. I don't know that they can survive under that. <laughs> Under those and, you know, it's not even just those players, but when – and Bill and I were sort of the big proponents of the NFL out in the other league. Well, therefore, the NFL loved us because we were incubating players. We were incubating rules, and if they wanted them, we tore up the contract. They were free to go. Here, if it, they're not really developing players for the NFL because they're going to be, un, you know, under contract to that team. Um, the other thing that will happen, which we talked about, is at some point if they start to succeed – the players' association is going to want to get involved and see see what happens then if they can sustain 
an organized effort and what they're going to want players to be paid and so on and so forth at yeah. that point. Well, that was going to be my next question. If you see it as a developmental league, does the NFL see some benefit to you know letting you develop better talent just because we're going to pick the best players up? The um, They do as long as they don't have to pay for it, mm-hmm. number one. And, uh, and number two, as long as the union doesn't get involved, that's even better mm-hmm. uh, from the NFL standpoint. And and I I do think that the NFL, at least under Roger Goodell's leadership, has crossed the Rubicon of being involved in developmental football because they did away with the Europe League, Mm -hmm. which, which by the way, was pretty successful developing both players, coaches, officials, particularly with an accent on minorities in in coaching and officiating. Um, Now, the same will be true of the XFL. I don't know that they'll have quite the – the, the close relationship that we had in the AAF, but it'll 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 still work. But I don't think the NFL wants to invest a lot of money in developing players because if you talk to owners who are really dollars dollars and cents people who and it should be it's their product right they mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> it's their money they say well what are we developing right. we're developing the eighth offensive lineman mm-hmm. we're developing the third quarterback we're developing the seventh, eighth, and ninth defensive linebacker. Mm-hmm. We're developing the sixth linebacker. We can get that guy out of college every year right. and turn him over. Right. So uh, when you when you look at it from that standpoint, it doesn't make for a you know a good investment for them to put a lot of money into it. Yeah, to put a ton of money in, get yeah. one Kurt Warner, right. and then hope. Yeah. That it, yeah. Well, do you also think sometimes they have to tweak the rules in order to get them more scoring, more interest in the league? Do you think that that even allows somebody in maybe a, a GM position to look at this even know if the athletic ability would translate into the NFL? It, it does, as long as you don't tweak the rules too, too much. outrageously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It, what about all the motion in the CFL? Uh, well, that's, that's a different deal entirely. Uh, the CFL rule is that any back can be in motion at any mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So what you do is it, it causes you to play static defense. You basically don't adjust to the motion until it gets to an overload situation, and you do it with the secondary. And you got five guys in the secondary by by definition. So all that happens is you make sure that the secondary doesn't get outflanked. But the the, the, the motion part that is difficult is with man-to-man because when you're manned up, what they want to try and do is create the, that pick timing perfectly. So the right. guy's flying across. Picture a fly sweep, but two guys going in, right. in the opposite <laughs> direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's going to get killed. So yeah. you, yeah. you, you got you to gotta adjust to that, um, but you get used to it. You mm-hmm. get used to it. You know, I've always thought sort of the CFL and the college game were more closely like, because with the, with the, sorry, with the, with the wider hashes, right? Yeah, uh, and there's sort of we have a, a, a big wide side of the field that you can go to. Same way as they widen the whole field in the CFL, it, it's a different kind of game than when you're playing a straight forward between the, the narrow hashes that the NFL has. I mean, I, it, it, it just opens it up, and it's why the run and, you know, and the crazy offenses. Yeah, the wide work side, of, the wide side of the field exists in college football, and in in the CFL, it doesn't exist Existing. in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. balanced. Are there any rules in the NFL you? Think should be changed, or if you if you could wave a magic wand, yeah. and <laughs> we got as long as you'll sit here. We got two days. What time's your flight? <laughs> uh, we, this will be the subject of going deep. Sure. Yeah. 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 Give us a little yeah. taste here. Yeah. Um, what if there was one that you had to focus on for right now? 
Let me backtrack and tell you, I was a 20-year member of the competition committee, which makes the rules or proposes rules changes. Uh, every year, we looked at one of the big three rules, offensive pass and, or defensive pass interference, mm -hmm. offensive holding, defensive holding. Mm -hmm. And we would say about once every six years, you've got to do an overhaul, a deep dive, because coaches take the rules – as they presently exist, and they teach techniques to get around those rules. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about OPI and DPI, mm -hmm. which I really think needs an overhaul. And I don't know whether- Especially over the last two years. Yeah, like, absolutely, sure. They went too far with it. And yeah, the cockamamie you know, yeah. fix to the New Orleans championship game was wrong. Right, yeah. I mean, um, Fortunately, it didn't do as much damage as it could have, but, but it's still wrong. Um, if we look at OPI, um, I think it's being called pretty well. If you get the extension of the arm and you get enough force to move the defender or stymie the defender, then you have a foul. And I believe that the officials on the field get that right about 98% of the time. It's not scientific. It's my own it's like the Kittle play. It's in the better, better than side. Exactly. Tech. The yeah. Kittle play is <laughs> absolutely a foul. Yeah. Absolutely a foul. Prima facie. Right. DPI has been a problem because the defensive coaches has, have gone from arm barring, which means that as you're running side by side with the receiver, you reach your near arm, the receiver arm out, and cross it across, creating a barrier that he has to run through. Mm -hmm. Okay. We said about. Ten years ago, when we did the deep dive on DPI the last time, armbar automatic foul, right? Doesn't matter whether it restricts or doesn't restrict. Automatic foul, armbar, boom. Don't do it. Jersey grab, automatic foul, whether it restricts or doesn't restrict. The the wording in the in the uh, this is why I said how much time do you have? The wording <laughs> that that exists in the DPI rule is that you in order to have a foul you have to have material restriction. Mm -hmm. So when, now, material restriction in air quotes, what does that mean? Right. Well, we went back when we did the deep dive 10 years or so ago and said, first of all, armbar, we don't care about the restriction. You armbar, it's a foul. You grab a jersey, it's a foul. We don't care about it. Uh, whether or not it material, you think it materially restricted. Now, in other stuff, you, the, the official has to say, did this materially restrict? Well, the defensive coaches said, okay, we can't armbar anymore. We can't grab, grab jerseys anymore, so what can we grab? We can grab the near hand. Mm. We can grab the near wrist. We can grab the pants around the stripe. And as those guys are running along, the official can't see that because he's looking up at the numbers. He's right. looking for an armbar. He's looking for a jersey grab. He's looking for a hit in the head, something like that. So meanwhile, as they're running along, in the most egregious cases, you'll see a receiver pull away and the DP's got him by the wrist, and it looks like he's going to dislocate his shoulder. <laughs> Just hanging out. So, and believe me, that's a material restriction. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> they, they, they need to clean that up. And, they, and there are other techniques. For example, receivers are now taught on fade routes, and any time when you get uh, equivalent, when you're side-by-side -side, parallel mm -hmm. to the – ride the guy out of bounds. So 
you take your shoulder and you lean into him as a defensive back and you push him and you push him and you push him without ever using your hands and you run him out of bounds. That's a foul. Mm-hmm. It isn't called enough. Right. Mm-hmm. The defensive coaches right. teach it. They're good at it. They, the players get good at it. These are the best athletes in the world. It's not incredibly overt either. It's no, just, it's not. And yeah. that's the whole point. So they make it hard to officiate. And so we got to go back, in my view, and look at BPI and say, okay, the following things are fouls no matter what. Now, the defensive coaches will holler as though you took their firstborn. They'll be there. We can't make a living anymore. They're trying to run us out of the league. We can't play defense. They're turning this into basketball. But after all the hollering and screaming, they adjust and they find ways to, to get around those rules. Yeah, they'll be grabbing at the socks next. Yes. So, but that the most inconsistency, in my view, exists in DPI because they you have to determine what material restriction is. And it changes from crew to crew. I don't know how many of our fans realize this. Every week, every team in the league gets a printout from their analytics department on what officials in what crews call what penalties. And so by the time you hit week six, week six is when the statistics really become dispositive. When you hit week six, you look at crew X and say, whoa, they right. never call rough in the passer. So it changes the scheme up. Of yeah. course. Go let after the passer. Yeah. Let it rip. <laughs> Whatever you <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Th- these two back judges call arm bars all the time. This guy, this, this, this umpire lets jersey grabs go all the time. Grab the jersey. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, Bill Belichick once famously said in a game that involved our Colts team where they, they, did everything but use longshoremen's hooks to hold on to us <laughs> that just doing business as business is done. That's he, right. yeah. he was a hundred percent right. Um, so uh, they, they know crew by crew what these guys are going to call. And it, there's too much dichotomy between the crews. Right. As you get to the playoffs, there is a playoff standard of officiating, no matter what the league says. We often said on the competition committee a foul in August is a foul in January. Eh, not so fast. You know, they allow a little more in the playoffs. Get away with a little more. A little more because they're, the, the theory being, A, the officials don't want to decide the game. Right. That's a long-term officiating uh, axiom. And, B, they're the better teams. And so you give them a little more leeway, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't have much – other than the egregious miss in New Orleans, I don't have much quarrel with the way the officials, the, the playoffs are officiating. Regular season, we're getting pretty far afield with DPI, I think. But how do they get the consistency across the crews? Like you would, did having them work you around help or? No, it doesn't help. Um, at least not in my view. Um, I think you just need to work at it. The fact that they can work practice helps. Uh, in the preseason, uh, I would want them to work as much practice as they could, and I would be even willing to let them work NFL practices. I think it would make more sense. The more you do it, I was 100 years ago, I was a lousy basketball official. But I can tell you that if the more you work, the better you get. Right, like anything. Yeah. yeah. So the more they, the more they work, 
I think the better they get. I think we, we probably should maybe revisit letting them uh, work practices. Did you like uh, adding OPI and DPI as challengeable? No, absolutely not. Just wanted to give you a chance to say uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Tossing alley oops over there. Yeah. Bang the yeah. table. Yeah. I think, I think we had the LeBron finish on that one. <laughs> the, um, first of all, replay was invented uh, and reinvented. People forget replay went away. It was such a failure in the first incarnation uh, because it disrupted the game so much and the replay official came in so much to, to, to replay whether or not the ball was a millimeter short of where it, where it should have been placed, uh, things like that, that the fans didn't like it, the coaches didn't like it, the players didn't like it. It disappeared. When it, before it came in, it was the most contentious issue I'd ever seen in the National Football League. You talk about a, a league where there are millions of dollars. This friendships of longstanding of twenty and thirty years were ruined because of this. It was incredible the emotion and the and, and the contentiousness that that was involved with replay, and then it was an abject failure and mm -hmm. went away. And then there was a play in New York in a Jet game involving Seattle and the Jets. Vinny Testaverde uh, went on a quarterback sneak. And if I remember correctly, dropped the ball and went into the end zone. Nobody saw him drop the ball. Touchdown, Jets win. Dennis Erickson loses his job in Seattle. It's obvious that it was a fumble. They missed it. And now there's a hue and cry for replay all over the land. Replay, replay, replay. So Commissioner Tagliabue said to Rich McKay, who was then the chairman of the competition committee, and John Marin, myself, and some others, um, should we bring replay in for the playoffs? There was a hue and cry about that. And we said, no, 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 no. You can't change horses in midstream. Right. Um, but we'll craft a rule that will be less intrusive than the old rule. And, and, and we'll see if we can make it work. So we did. I think what we came back with was ideal because it allowed you only two challenges. Mm -hmm. So the coaches had to be careful about what they challenged. And it allowed you to replay only decisions that did not involve judgment. Right. Because if, we, if we're going to – how can you be a little bit pregnant? If you're going to uh, question an official's <laughs> yeah. judgment on this, why not on that? I think science has disproved that many, many times. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's, it's either or. <laughs> yeah. I would say it's binary. Yeah, no, that's it's, uh, it's so, pretty, pretty exact. When we invented and, and put forth – the original second incarnation, Replay 2, 2.0, to use today's jargon, um, it worked great. It worked great. It didn't, it didn't interrupt the game, and it, it, coaches had to husband the challenges for plays that really counted. Mm -hmm. And then, like everything else in life, Replay Creep came in. Well, you know, wouldn't it be better if we replayed every turnover? No. But they did. They right. decided it was better. And the coaches always want it. The coaches want more and more replay because it takes the onus off them, number one, to use the challenges. Right. And number two, the chances of getting it right are pretty good. So now you get um, replay of every turnover. You get replay of every scoring play. And then, ultimately, as we were all afraid, it all gravitated because of technology to the New York. So now you have the Wizard of Oz literally in a bunker in New York making all these decisions, uh, you know, uh, every Sunday. And, and then to put the icing on the cake, 
we can't, we violated the basic philosophical tenet of replay 2.0, which is to mm-hmm. begin to replay judgment calls. That's a slippery slope that we'll never recover from yeah. if, if we go one step beyond where we are now. And then the added uh, technological to stitch stuff together yeah, well, where, where you're looking yeah. at micro fractions of seconds and I'm not, distorts reality. And, I, right. I think that stitching, which is, which is the where you take multiple views, you now get the replay official. Uh, it's hard for me to describe this um, accurately. You, you have a screen in front of you, which can get eight different boxes, right? which are eight different views. First of all, let me back up. Not every game is equal relative to the number of cameras. Replay is provided by television. TV. You're yes. limited to whatever the you're broadcast. limited to whatever the broadcast. It's so called the line feed. If you're game six, it's a little different. Exactly than right. If you're Tennessee versus uh, Indianapolis, that game only goes as far as Franklin, Tennessee, and Muncie, <laughs> right. Indiana. That's about it. Yeah, <laughs> and it only has nine cameras. Right. They bring the tin can and the string down, and you start That's exactly looking. right. Whereas if it's the Sunday night game, it can have up more than twenty cameras. So the replay official looks at these boxes, which give him all different looks, and they can go back, toggle back and forth. The technology is amazing. They can toggle back and forth between views, and they can see the front view of a guy catching the ball, and then the side view, and then the back view, and you, you're allowed to stitch them together mm-hmm. and, and, and come to a judgment. I'm not sure that that's the right thing. I've never seen a statistic that measures how accurate stitching is, but I can't believe it's tremendously accurate. But here's the problem. The, the, the problem going forward is as follows. The 5K and the super slow-mo is a real problem for replay because super slow-mo distorts two things, time and space. So... Let's use the, the uh, Kittle play in the Super Bowl and the Minnesota-New uh, Orleans play, sure. right? right? In, the, in the championship game. In both cases, the tight end extended. So we got the potential for a foul. That's pretty clear. Now, in the Minnesota game, you see in super slow-mo the defensive back's head driven back slightly, his body driven back slightly, but it's clear in super slow-mo. In Kittle's case, you see the arm extended, so it's a question of a foul. Is there or is there not? You can see the DB gets moved a little bit. Which one's a foul? Which one's not a foul? on replay because it is replayable. So in the super slow-mo, now you compare the super slow-mo to real time. In Kittle's case, it's pretty clear that he moved the DB. Mm-hmm. In the Minnesota game, not so clear. In the Rudolph play, it's dicey. In the Rudolph clear, it's dicey. Yeah, it's yeah. 50-50. Well, yeah. you can't tell force when everything's going that slow. It's, everything just looks kind of – That's exactly right. in space. Right. It's just, Time yeah. and space. Yeah. Well, as a Redskins fan, I think everyone was shot Kirk even through the pass. So I think everybody was like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so that's the problem with super slow-mo. It distorts uh, what you would use to make judgment calls. Lines, perfectly good, mm-hmm. you know. Was the knee down, all that stuff, yeah. yeah. 
Catch, no catch. Yeah, pretty good. Right. I'm not crazy about that rule, but but pretty good. You know, it, it's not it, catch, no catch is not going to kill the game. I don't think anybody knows what a catch is anymore at this point. Well, <laughs> football I, move. Well, yeah, right. I have and do, but it, it's, it's yeah, you might. I don't yeah. want to waste your time. <laughs> there might be a few people. <laughs> yeah. One of them happens yeah. to be at this table. So, <laughs> but but when you start to get into judgment calls with super slow mo, boy, that is really tough. Think about. Roughing the passer, yeah, super slow mo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it a glancing blow, or is it a well? Because everything looks worse. That's exactly right. In cinema, you slow down the most dramatic mm-hmm. footage. Yeah. So we, as television audiences, have been conditioned to, oh my god, it's slow. Yeah. Something terrible must have happened. See, it's the Sam Peckinpah theory yeah, no, of football, yeah. but it is crazy. You because it's an entertainment property, you have to think about it as an entertainment viewer and be like. If this is a video technique that conditions the audience to be like, oh, this is bad, well, then it's going to be bad. Let me finish with this with this proposition or this point of view, sure. uh, which addresses some stuff that's out there in the ether. The first is gambling. The theory of the, of the, the replay zealots, the people who want the game to be done by replay, period, case closed, right? Um, they take the position – Oh, we got to get it right. We got to use replay because of gambling. No. Nobody put a gun to your head and said, put $10 on the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, right. Right? right? Yeah. You did that of your own volition. Right. We don't have, other than making sure the game is on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's no collusion or anything like that. The league has no no responsibility for taking care of gamblers. Where did that come from? Yeah. There, I don't think in the Ten Commandments there was an yeah. ethical exactly. responsibility. Exactly, nor, nor in the Constitution or bylaws. Exactly. Vince Lombardi never said we got to take care of the gambler. But what about the gambler? <laughs> right. So well, somebody think of the gamblers. Well, not to mention, for every guy you please with that, you piss off the guy on the other side of the bed. Exactly so, right. You don't exactly know right. And 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 the second part of it is that if replay creates especially a slow-mo replay, creates a mindset that the officials somehow Mm. are not capable of doing the game. That's not true. When you look at the statistics every year, the officials are right about 93 4% of the time. The ones that they're wrong, if they change games or if they're in high-profile games Sunday night, Monday night – gets a lot of publicity. But in the larger scheme of things, they do a pretty good job. And so I don't know that the the necessity of that is there. But if you believe, if you're a zealot and you say, okay, everything has to be replayed, like Bill Belichick said, give us the right to replay everything. If that's the case, first of all, you're going to get five-hour games. That's number one. How do you like that, right? The new generation can't sit through a two-hour baseball game, right. much less a four-hour football game. Correct. And secondly, you're in a position where you almost make the officials suspect. And that's corrosive in the long run to the perception of the sport. Right. I, I, it's the old story. Rick's the lawyer. So if I misquote this, please correct me. But, you know, better one guilty man go free then 10 innocent men are convicted, right? Here, better we miss a few calls, even if they're in the championship game, mm-hmm. 
than have officiating constantly, constantly, constantly criticized. That's corrosive to the sport. And that has grown up. If you go on the internet, there's certain internet sites. Oh, yeah. And, and blog sites and whatever else you want to call them that specialize in that. Every week they're criticizing the officials. And in 90% of the cases, they don't even know the people who are doing the criticizing don't even know the rules. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, but, well, so but in the end, for every it's time that it, uh, it hurts you, it probably helps you as well. Chuck Knox, who was a longtime coach in the league, once said, in the long run, the bad calls even out. The secret is to stay around long enough right. to, to, to see all of it. Yeah, right. to, to have it come around. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much uh, for this. This was awesome. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to, to hearing more about the, the going deep with Bill Polian. And uh, we will definitely plug it as soon as we know when it's going to be out. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for coming thank on. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. See ya.